Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. When I look through the scriptures, throughout the scriptures, and I look at where God was doing a real move of his spirit, a real work of his spirit, there's, there's, you always are able to find some men that are just completely sold out, some men that are filled with the spirit, some men that have bowed the knee to the Lord, some men that have given their hearts over to the things of the Lord, some men that are believing God when nobody else believes God. If you manage to read through the whole Bible, chances are you've picked up on sort of a pattern regarding who God uses. While we might first notice that a majority of them were unqualified, they all shared a common characteristic. They were sold out for God. As Pastor Bill discusses in his message today, one of the sure ways you can be used by God is by simply committing to Him. In his study, you'll learn that by prayer, faith, and pursuit, God will surely use you for the furtherance of His kingdom. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Numbers, chapter 1, for today's edition of A Transforming Word. I think it's important, and not just the men, I think in our families, we want to look at each of us that are in the have families that are especially if you're head of household or responsible for families that man are there people in our families that are that do our families know the Lord are there people in our families that can do battle um, are we are we part of it are we will we be numbered will we be counted would I be someone that could be counted on to go do not physical battle spiritual battle um, because many of you look in the Old Testament and many of the, 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 the physical wars we don't war like that anymore, right? When you come to the New Testament, you know, God's not telling me to go kill Amalekites like he told David or he told Saul. For us in the New Testament, God says the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal, fleshly, but they're mighty in God to pull them down strongholds. I'm not fighting with folks. We're fighting in the spirit realm. So there's principalities and powers and, and spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. That's what we're up against. And so as we look to make uh, just comparison, just keep those things in mind. We're, we're fighting a completely different war now. And sometimes we get tripped up trying to fight a, a, a fleshly battle. Some of us are going to war with people and you battling with people and God's like, it's not about him. We, we, we war with principalities and powers. Quit slapping him. You know, we, we go into war in the spirit realm. Quit arguing with them. They just people. The, the war, you need to get on your knees. The war is happening in another realm. And sometimes we can lose sight of that because we live in this fleshy realm and the stuff's happening in the flesh around us. And God's like, you got to step out of it sometimes. Remember, I'm a spiritual being and I'm in a spiritual battle and I got spiritual resources and I, I need to I need to I need to remember that. So um, so that, that's what they're being called to do here. They're being set aside by their armies and. One last thing I would point out is that it was kind of like, as they were being numbered, it's like taking an inventory of what you have. Um, if you, you know, work in some kind of retail, every once in a while you take inventory of what's there. What do you have? Um, they were taking inventory of what we have to work with as we go out because God told them to. I think that it's important for us as believers that we take spiritual inventory. I think sometimes people are losing battles and failing in their walk with the Lord because they haven't taken an honest inventory of where they are. Um, sometimes people overestimate themselves. Sometimes people underestimate themselves and their spiritual resources. And so we want to be careful to take honest inventory. I've talked to people that are, 
just struggling. They're, 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 they're being beat. They're losing in the spiritual war. And you talk to them and they're like, I'm, everything's great. It's them. Like, that's not an honest inventory. You're doing bad. You're in the flesh. You're you cutting up. You know, we, we want to take honest inventory. And this is what happens, right? If I could be honest about where I'm failing, then I'm in a position to get help and to go forward. If I say, no, you know, my walk is okay, but I'm, I'm weak in prayer and I'm weak over here and, and I be getting in the flesh and my language ain't right and this is where I need help at. Well, now, as I'm honest about that stuff, I can really begin to get help. But if I'm not honest, right, if all that's true, but I'm over here saying, I'm good. I'm not, I'm not what I used to be. I'm not taking honest inventory. I'm going to continue to fail instead of getting better. So it is a healthy thing to take honest inventory of where we are spiritually that God can have access. God work on me. I, God, I'm, I know I'm a work in progress and I, these are the things I need help with. Look at verse four. It says, and when you, and with you, there shall be a man from every tribe, each one the head of his father's house. So once you get this tribe, so say the tribe of Reuben or the tribe of Gad or the tribe, but once you get the tribe, and you get all the thousands of men that are 20 and older, age for war. God said, of all those men, I need one guy that's going to be the representative of the tribe. He'll be like the governor for the tribe of Reuben, the governor for the tribe of God. I need one guy. And again, I look at that and I think, wow, how cool would it be to be that guy? What, what would it take to be that guy? Where they would look and say, that guy right there. I need that guy that's going to govern this group. He's going to be over this group. It's just one guy uh, is going to be the head of his father's house. And he's getting ready to go through the names. And I would point this out because it's a real weakness in our culture right now. When I look through the scriptures, throughout the scriptures, and I look at where God was doing a real move of his spirit, a real work of his spirit, there's, there's, you always are able to find some men that are just completely sold out. Some men that are filled with the spirit. Some men that have bowed the knee to the Lord. Some men that have given their hearts over to the things of the Lord. Some men that are believing God when nobody else believes God. And even some men at many times that are willing to be the minority when everybody else says you can't. They're like, but God said, so we're gonna. You know, there's people like that at every generation. Whenever there's a real work, a real move of God, you have somebody that just sees it God's way. Um, later on, we're going to see with this group, all Israel goes, the spies go and they check out the promised land and, and 10 guys come back and say, or, you know, the spies come back and say, oh, there's too much for us. They're like, we're like grasshoppers and they're like, we can't go. Absolutely not. And who comes back? Joshua and Caleb. They're like, what? We all just saw the same thing. He said, man, that's our bread. Them grapes was big. That food, it was everything was just like God said, let's go get it. And they get overruled by the majority. That's why we don't vote. <laughs> that's why we don't we don't do uh, um, we don't do voting right that 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 majority ruled there and it ruled the wrong way um, you had two guys that saw a guy and they got to go in later on but but that's what happened there you had a couple guys in Esther's day um, the Jews were getting ready to be wiped out and you got a lady Esther says you know what if if I perish I perish and she went for it and she went into the king and she went and she said her piece and she could have died for it. And all the Jews were saved on her back because she just said, I'm going to go. And she took a little encouragement, but she rolled with the encouragement and God used her life. And so everyone here, God wants to use our life. You could just look around us and see things are so messed up. Sometimes we think God can't use me. 
I'm just this. I'm not enough. I don't know that much. I'm not this. If you would just sell out, God will use you, right? God's, God, doesn't, God isn't looking for people that come with all the bells and whistles. You don't have to come to God equipped. You got to come to God believing and obeying. That's it. He makes it so simple. You don't have to come gifted. You don't have to come with a big bag of talent. You don't have to come with all kind of degrees and, and background. All you got to do is come to the Lord believing and obedient. And God will use your life for his glory. And so again, they're going to be, uh, these men are going to be picked from each of the households or each of the families. And they're going to end up being the head. And I would just say this for those here that are married, those here that are head of household. Um, God has always had an order here. He sets up an order. This is going to be the guy in charge of this group right here under these two men. You got Moses and Aaron under God. They're going to set aside a man from each tribe. This guy is going to be the governor for that tribe. And I want you to just notice that God is setting up order. I want it, this is going to be the chain of command. This is how it's going to go. It's how I'm going to run things. In our day and age today, God's order is being trampled, being stomped out. People don't respect it. Nobody wants to, 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 to live by it. But there's an order. There's an order for the family. The family's in a mess because we're not respecting that order that God has set up for the family. And if you're writing notes, um, you can write down 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm going to read you verse 3 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It says, but I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is a man and the head of Christ is God. And God lays it out there. The head of every man is Christ. The head of every woman is the man and the head of Christ is God. In a family setting, in a household, God would have everybody here that's married and you got a wife and you got some kids. God would have that man to be under Christ. God would have that wife to submit up under her husband. Um, God would have those people's children to submit to them. That's the order God has set up. Um, what we got today, we got it broken up a lot of times. We got men that won't lead. Um, some men won't lead. Some men are hindered from leading. Um, some guys, they just won't lead. They won't, they won't, they're not submitted to Christ themselves. So the chain is broken from the top and everything underneath is suffering. Some what some women do in order to compensate for a broken head is they take on they, they put the pants on you don't want to wear them, they put them on both legs and they they then they gladly take that on because you I don't want to beat you women I love you women I love you guys y'all know I love you but it's it's a weakness in women it says it in Genesis when Eve and Satan when Eve and Adam Adam and Eve fell you guys know there was a difference in the fall Eve was what. She was deceived. She had her head bumped. She was manipulated and tricked by the enemy. Was Adam manipulated and tricked? He was like, his wife said, hey, baby. And he was like, Burr. and he just ate it, you know. She swayed him. And uh, I'll tell this, every, every married man here know that the wife have a bit of a sway. She had sway. She was like, I ate it. You gonna eat it too? I bet she walked off, you know, whatever. But he ate it. He, he willfully just sinned against the Lord and messed up like that. So in... Way over in Timothy, when God is giving out order for the church, God says, look, the woman shall not teach or have authority over the man. Why not? Because, and it goes way back to the origin. He says, because Eve was deceived. Um, basically, God says, look, I never made the woman to lead the man. And when she did, look what a mess it made. That was never my plan. So he said, I've never made it to be that way. So I, some of y'all might be, I don't know if you guys, some, I know there are people that will, well, there's women pastors that are doing great. They wrong. They ain't supposed to be women 
in authority teaching men. It's not supposed to be. So it, just imagine this. My wife right here, right? We're married. And imagine that she was a pastor. And I was sitting there listening to her teach right now. So right now I submit to her. But then we're supposed to go home and she's going to submit to me. She, she, I mean, can, can she switch up like that? Would she be like, when we step, is it when we step out of the church? Or is it, you know, when does it switch? It doesn't, right? That's just a broken order. So I would say this to the men. If you're a man, and well, you're a man, period. Because you don't have to have a family yet. If you want one, you're going to have one one day. You young men, we want to just find our place submitted under Christ. That's our place. My place is a submit to God. I am a man to be under submission to God. Everything good that's going to happen in my life is going to flow from that being in order. If you're a wife and there's a husband, and even if he's messing up, right? If your husband is not doing right, I would encourage you to submit anyway. You know why? Because if you don't submit and you resist him and you fight him, what happens to some men is they get fought and their wives are like, well, last time I listened to you and we lost everything. I'm not listening to you no more. And so he don't make no more decisions. He quits. He just say, you know what? I'm sick of fighting with her. He just, he just hands over the authority. And now you just live in a broken situation. But I'll tell you what, you just let him fail and let him fail. Let him live with it. He'll be broken enough to he'll say, God, please help me. I'm, I'm ruining everything in my family. They listen to me. You let them lead and let them fail. And then don't go back and say, I told you. Look at what you did. Don't go back and say nothing. Just let it be. You just do your part, right? You submit and let the Lord deal with him. That, that's what God would have. And then children, submit up under your parents because it's, 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 all those things are part of God's order. You get a child that's not submitting to their parent, they're really not submitting to God. So your walk with the Lord is messed up. A wife that won't submit to her husband is really not submitting to God. So her walk is messed up. And a man that's not submitted to Christ is absolutely messed up in his walk with God and needs a repentance. So, but that God has order for everything that he does. And we live in a society that's just ripping away at the order in the home. You know, the same sex, that's one attempt at it. Women's lib is another thing at it. Um, our culture that says that people should cohabitate and, and get together and live together for a while and make four babies and then decide if they want to get married. And so you got all these kids that don't even have a dad to begin with. And it's, just, it's, it's a broken society. So we live in a broken world, but, but it shouldn't be like that in the church. Amen. There should be different in here. And so from wherever God gets a hold of us from that, we walk different from there. Um, and we want there to be something. We want there to be a solid example laid out that we're submitted to God and his order. So God lays out for them here his order, his instruction, his direction, how he wants things to go. And in verses five through 15, these are the only names I'm going to bumble through with you guys. And then the rest of them, we're going to take them by tribes. God lays out these are the men that are picked from each tribe. So look at verse five. These are the names of the men who shall stand with you from Reuben, from the tribe of Reuben, El, El, Eliezer, the son of Shadur, from Simeon, Shalumim, the son of, the son of Zerdish, you, you see that. Verse 7, Judah, from Judah, Nashon, Nashon, sounds like a brother, Nashon, the son of Aminadab, from Ishakar, Nethanel, the son of Zuar, from Zebulun, Iliab, the son of Helon, from the tribe, from the sons of Joseph, from Ephraim, that's Joseph's two sons, Elishama, the son of Amihud, from Manasseh, Gamaliel, the son of Pedazer, from Benjamin, Abidon, the son of Gedoni, from Dan, Ahizer, the son of Amishadai, from Asher, Pagiel, the son of Okran, from Gad, 
Elisha, the son of Duel, from Naphtali, Ahira, the son of Aaron, oh man, Enon. All right, so those are the guys that are from each tribe. Those are the 12 men that are going to, they were picked out as the responsible parties over each one of the tribes. So starting in, look at verse 16, it says, these were chosen from the congregation, leaders of their father's tribes, heads of the divisions in Israel. And so I just want to point out that these were chosen. These were those that were seen as, for whatever reason, they were seen as those that would be good for this, that this would be the guy to lead this. Reminds me in Acts um, chapter uh, six, as the early church was needing, they needed some good, they needed a few good men. They needed some people to come lead, some people to serve tables. And they said, you know what? Choose out from among yourselves, seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, who we can appoint over this work. And here, these are men that are selected, that are put out. And there's a quality, there, there, there is a type of man that God wants to use. And we want to make sure men and women that we're the kind of people that God will use. That our lives are in order, that we're submitted to him, that we're trusting and believing. I want to be used by God. We got a short time on this earth. And there isn't anything more important you can do with your time on earth than the spend it serving the Lord. That God can, can, that God can have, have you, have access to you, and that God can use your life for his glory. A lot of times we forget this, but when you think of demon possession, right? What's a demon want to do? They want to possess a body. Why? Because they want to do whatever they want to do through someone else. We see that Satan is always, always, always imitating what God does. And so God, it was God's idea first. God said, I want to possess you. I want to put my spirit upon you. I want to put my spirit. I want to possess you, but in a great way. I want, I, want, I want to move in. I want you to allow me to move into you that I would fill your life. You'd have power that's from me vision that's from me, ability that's from me, that you might do great things for me. And Satan says, oh yeah, I'm going to take that and flip it. I'm going to make it something vile and ugly and nasty. I want to possess people too. And I want to possess them to ruin them, to kill them, to destroy them, to work through them. And so don't forget that, that God wants to possess you, but it's not a wicked possession. God wants to fill your life up because There are things that I'm incapable of doing in my own might, my own strength, but God will fill me with his power, with his spirit, enable me to do what I can never do in my own strength. And then when I'm doing what I can never do in my own strength, who gets the glory? He does. Like, God, you you, you told me to do it. You empowered me to do it. You used me to do it. And and then it's something I I, I, I glorify you and I'm even rewarded for, for just being available, being a vessel that God can fill and use the way he wants Everybody here can be that, you guys. Everybody here can be a vessel God will fill and use. It's, it's about being yielded to him, letting him have his way. And so again, these, these men were picked and they were going to be used by the Lord in this way. It says in verse 17, then Moses and Aaron took the men who had been mentioned by name and they assembled all the congregation together on the first day of the second month and they recited their ancestry by family by their father's house according to the number and above, each one individually. As the Lord commanded Moses, so he numbered them in the wilderness of Sinai. Now, what we're going to do from verse 20, if you're taking notes, you can take out a little pen and write this down. From verse 20 to verse 46. I'm not going to read through all these. Um, I'm going to tell you how many people were represented from each tribe. 
So you look at verse 20, we're looking at the tribe of Reuben. It says, now the children of Reuben, and it says, in Israel's oldest son, their genealogies by their family, by their father's house, according to the number of names, every male individually from 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war, those who were numbered of the tribe of Reuben were 46,500. That's the only time I'm reading it. It's the same thing every single time with each guy, that same little section. So Reuben, it says there were 46,500. Look at verse 22, Simeon. From Simeon, there were 59,300. From verse 24, Gad. From Gad, there were 45,650. Verse 26, from Judah, there were 74,600. Verse 28, from Ishakar, 54,400. Verse 30, Zebulun, there were 57,400. And remember, Joseph had his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. So from the sons of Joseph, the children of Ephraim, there was, uh, from Ephraim, there was 40,500. And from Manasseh, in verse 34, there were 32,200. Verse 36, for Benjamin, there were 35,400. Verse 38, from Dan, there were 62,700. We almost there. Verse 40, from Asher, there were 41,500. And in verse 42, from Naphtali, there were 53,400. And so look at verse 44. It says, these are the ones who were numbered, who Moses and Aaron numbered with the leaders of Israel, 12 men, each one representing his father's house. So all who were numbered of the children of Israel by their father's houses from 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war in Israel. Verse 46, all who were numbered, 603,550. And then verse 47, but the Levites were not numbered among them by their father's tribe. So now let's go and break that down. So we have, this is the group of people, the large number, verse 46, that's everybody all together that's able to go to war. This is what Israel's working with. As we come into numbers, we've numbered the people. This is how many men we have that are able to go to war. Um, 603,550 men. That's what we got to work with. So that's not the number of Israel altogether, but that's the number of men age 20 and up who are able to go to battle, go to war. That's a pretty sizable army. That's a good number of people. We're going to find out that their strength will never be in their numbers. Anybody that's read through your Bible, you realize that God's not really necessarily, you know, it, the number that they have didn't matter. I could have been a lot of them. It could have been a few of them. Um, many times God would gain victory through little, through few. Um, the Bible says that it's the, the weak thing. God uses the weak things to confound the wise. And so when you look at Gideon and God making him continually cut the number of people down to where he was left with just 300 guys to go against thousands. And God said, because if you had too many guys, you guys would look back and say, we did this. We bad. But with 300, you're going to know it was just me. And some of us have been in predicaments that God has allowed where we know this won't work unless it's God. It'll have to be the Lord. And sometimes God does that because he knows our weakness. He knows if we think we did it in our own strength, we'll start filling ourselves. We'll start puffing out our chest. We'll start telling people, you know what I did. And, you know, we'll, we'll, our testimony won't have no God in it. You know what I did? I was, I, I was there too one day and I pulled myself up by the bootstraps. I went out there and I got it taken care of. You know, there won't be no God, no humility. And that'll ruin you. That's what ruins Satan, pride. 
So guys, I leave you guys many times in a place where you're desperate for me to do something, and then I do it. And you just say, thank you, thank you, thank you. You'd be thankful for the Lord. I could have never done it without you. And that's where he wants us to be. Thanks for joining Pastor Bill on a transforming word as he teaches through the book of Numbers. As you listen to today's message, we pray that it has not only inspired you in your faith journey, but challenged you in your relationships. The book of Numbers recounts the various struggles the people of Israel faced with those outside of their camp, but also within. Surely, there are difficulties you might be facing inside your family, your church, your work setting, and the nation as a whole. But God is still here, and He's proven time and time again that He's not leaving you or abandoning you. So when you're tempted to get down and out, chin up and remember that He is faithful. The messages you've been listening to are in Ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. If you're ever in or near the Inglewood area, you're more than welcome to join us for church. We meet at Calvary Chapel, Inglewood every Sunday and Wednesday. And you can get more information on our website at calvaryinglewood.org. You can also call or text us for more information. Our number is 310-245-4811. Again, that's 310-245-4811. If you're looking for more resources or ways to connect with us, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Just look for the links on our website. Again, that's calvaryinglewood.org. Well, that's all we have time for today. But Pastor Bill will have more to share from the book of Numbers next time on A Transforming Word. <laughs>